0: Welcome to episode 41 of Contested Catch, our first in-season episode, Jeff. Really, really excited uh, to be here doing a week one recap and a week two waiver wire um, coverage here. So really excited. Glad to have you. Um, What a weekend, man. It felt incredibly good to have football back. And I was giddy for like 48 hours. A lot happened. Uh, Before we get into that, Jeff, welcome to the show. Happy to have you back again. How are you?
1: Thank you, Will. I'm fantastic. I was, you hit it. It It's just so fun to have football back and do nothing but tilt all Sunday.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, there's a lot to unpack today, I think. We're going to try to keep it uh, concise so that you guys can, you know, listen to this and then make some moves uh, later today. But, uh, you know, before we get into the episode, I think it's important to talk about week one uh, and how we respond to week one so my takeaway be decisive but don't overreact week one is just that it's one week so if your favorite sleeper didn't do much or your stud rb flopped don't rush to sell low or drop them trust your evaluations that they're a little bit more sturdy than what 50 to 60 snaps may tell us in one matchup so they deserve more credit than you know quickly selling low or dropping them Um, With that said, don't discount what we saw either. Week one is still the only data point we really have so far. So it's filled with signals each year uh, that are obvious in hindsight, and it's worth diving deep for things to take away that feel real. So one of those things is surface level. A guy like, you know, you like looked bad, but it felt fluky. Try to buy low and vice versa. If you had, say, Sammy Watkins on a discount, try to sell high. Uh, failing to act will cost you value in the long run, but don't force the issue or panic sell either. You don't need to make major waiver wire moves or trades after week one, but there are all you know depending on your league and depending on your team, there are more than likely opportunities to improve your season long outlook. So, be decisive, but don't overreact. Uh, Jeff, anything to add on that front or any advice related to waiver wires?
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, I think. One of the big things just to look at is uh like snap counts right now, and um I think they're like the be all end all but if someone you were expecting to um you know get a larger workload and they you're only seeing twenty five percent snap share um that that you know that's like a type of stat that might want to uh raise a couple of flags uh game script obviously can go into that, and you know especially for running backs, but um yeah, you know, I, I think there's like definitely some stats to look into, but it's not worth overreacting right away.
0: Agreed. Um, on on the snap count um, point, real quick, Hayden Winks actually had a very uh, a, a nicely put tweet earlier about snap counts related to wide receivers, and that is we care more about routes run, a route percentage um, than snap count because if they're on the field, they may be run blocking, and obviously, as Hayden pointed out uh we don't get points for run blocking so it's important to look at snaps i definitely think yeah, like for
1: julian i think it was julian edelman right. who had like a 55 percent snap count but he was in on. Rate. i think he was in on 20 well, of
0: 22 it? dropbacks or pass plays, uh, yeah, pass plays that's yes. what it was, yeah
1: yeah something like that so yeah so it's yeah, not the be all end all but it's yeah you know, you can contextualize things a little bit too though
0: definitely definitely um Okay, so let's move on to our winners and losers for week one. And with that said, Jeff, let's get into it. Uh, kicking off with the highest score of the week in half PPR formats. Our first winner, Devontae Adams. Let me start by saying I'm thrilled to have put him as a wide receiver one overall. Um, you know, leading up to uh, drafts and the end of the, the summer. Um, he looked he looked like the legit number one. Uh, especially after Mike Thomas was reported to have ankle high ankle sprain. And we're going to get into that. But um he he had 17 targets which is absurd 14 catches 156 yards and two touchdowns uh Aaron Rodgers looked good the defense isn't great but at the same time Devonte Adams is phenomenal that's our first winner right there and number 2 we've got Naheem Hines a guy that I was not a big believer in coming into the season second year guy uh he's kind of like a James White type where he's a he's a satellite back Uh, Still get some usage in the backfield, but he's a little bit smaller and really, really shifty. Well, all I have to say is, wow, seven for 28 and one touchdown rushing targets, eight catches, 45 yards and another touchdown receiving. Now, Marlon Mack, the presumed RB1A for now or for then, is now out for the year with the torn Achilles. Jeff, is Heinz a legit RB2 option now or is week one a fluke and it's Jonathan Taylor's season?
1: Well, it's both. Um, I what really stuck out to me is that Hines was the goal line back. I, which was very unexpected. Um it'll be that that'll be something to keep an eye on because if he does really keep getting work inside the 10, I and mean, that's significant. Um I, mean, I think Jonathan Taylor, you can almost pencil in as like a low end RB1 honestly at this point. Um it, this is I mean so this was a historic receiving wide receiver class. Through one week, the leader, uh, the rookie leader in both receptions and receiving yards, is Jonathan Taylor. Um, I mean, it's obviously not going to hold up throughout the season, but he also played basically only the second half. So you look at how much Rivers just loves to dump the ball off to the running back, and Jonathan Taylor's looking at in six receptions in his, uh, you know first career start when he was not profiled as a receiving back and he looked explosive. So I think that receptions from rivers, is just going to give him such a good floor ceiling combo and his athleticism is like, uh, you know, top notch. So I think yeah, really you can pencil him in right in that like RB 10 to RB 15 range. And then Hines I think is a lower end RB two uh, definitely comfortable putting him in the flex for now. And yeah, I think really it's the back goal line red zone usage is really what's going to determine where these two end up at least based on week one usage. Yeah, I mean, if I could add
0: something there, I would say that even if Hines loses the red zone role, kind of like we think maybe he should his him getting eight targets in this offense where, you know, especially when some of these targets are screens like Jonathan Taylor looked really good on screens. That's because this offensive line is so darn good at that. Uh, You know, Heinz could be very productive in a PPR format, even if he reduces his red zone role and gets, you know, maybe a more sustainable target share. So, yeah, I'm with you on that analysis, Jeff. And another guy we want to bring up is Paris Campbell, who's rostered in only 30 percent of ESPN leagues. Jeff, you and I were both big fans of Campbell going into the season. It was one of the reasons why I faded T.Y. Hilton and was was bullish on Campbell was because I was thinking at some point Campbell would be the wide receiver one in this offense. I wasn't a big fan of Michael Pittman. Uh, that still has plenty of time to, you know, backfire, but what are your thoughts on Campbell seeing it, you know, tied for the league lead, uh, team lead in targets with nine, uh, tied with T Y Hilton.
1: Um, if he's out there on your waiver wires, you just, he's definitely someone to be picking up. I think ESPN looks like he's available in 70% of leagues. So, um, yeah, I think he's, know very good floor with those receptions as I mentioned and I mean he has that athleticism to kind of break into that uh you know lower end wide receiver two range and possibly be like this year's DJ Chark of second year breakout who didn't really show much his rookie year but has that athleticism and is going to seize the opportunity now so um yeah I loved Paris Campbell
0: love it um Next up, we've got DeAndre Hopkins, and this is another one that we're walking back a little bit. Um, I was fading DeAndre Hopkins, you know, felt pretty confident about um, him changing teams, schemes, quarterbacks, coaches, everything with a shortened offseason. And that, that was a guy that we might want to avoid for the first couple of weeks. I, I said in my ranks, I want DeAndre Hopkins as a fade on draft day and a like approaching midseason buy. well week one, 16 targets, 14 catches, 151 yards and zero touchdowns. That line quelled a lot of concerns about the type of connection and volume we could expect, uh, you know, in this new situation. So, um, you know, if this keeps up, I'll be regretting my draft day fade. But at the end of the day, you know, we know this guy's a good player. It was more so just how quickly will that come to fruition? And the answer so far is right away. Um, Now, another surprise wide receiver in week one was Russell Gage, Jeff. Uh, The Atlanta wide receivers as a whole went off. That's not a surprise. Oh, okay. So we're, we're talking it should,
1: it. should not be, should not be, should not be a surprise <laughs> if you were paying attention, <laughs> you, you you were really all over on Russell Gage. I called him arbitrage Calvin Ridley a couple of times this off season. All right. Well, uh,
0: he, you know, he saw, he tied for the team lead in, uh, catches and targets with nine and 12. In fact, all Julio, Calvin Ridley and Gage all saw those numbers. Uh, and they all had well over 100 yards. So Ryan threw it 54 times for 450 yards. That level of volume is probably unsustainable. I mean, this is the team we expected to lead the league in pass volume. At least that's that's what I was thinking, and uh, it bodes very well for those that remain bullish on Julio, and especially those that bought in on Ridley. And now Jeff Ridley probably outproduced his his uh, his volume or his opportunity that we saw this week, but. You know, I know that you were very bearish on Ridley being so high.
1: What are your thoughts after week one? Um, Yeah, so Ridley, based on my model, had like about 16 and a half expected fantasy points and ended up with 29 and a half. I mean, that 16 and a half is still very high. Um, What kind of concerns, I don't say concerns me, but um a lot of that came in garbage time after the Falcons were playing catch up and it seemed like Um, you know, I'd have to go back and check for sure. It seemed like Julio was the go-to guy early on in the game and then Ridley sort of ended up picking things up later. Um, also, but I don't really know how much that matters if the Falcons are going to be, have a lot of catch-up games. And I just want to make a quick comment on Russell Gage is that, um, you know, last year they had Austin Hooper was really kind of the number three option. Hayden Hurst only had six targets. So I think it's, possible that we could see a lot of the um austin hooper volume start following into to russell gage and like you know, i I don't think this um expecting him to put up wide. i think expecting him to put up wide receiver three numbers could be reasonable if that happens i mean, if this is you know high powered passing offense there'll be a lot of volume they had supported three receiving weapons last year two wide receivers one tight end They'll su- probably support three receiving fantasy weapons this year, and it could just be the three wide receivers. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and the other thing, too, is uh, you mentioned, you know, game script contributing to some of the, you know, the catch-up points that we saw. You know, that's part of the appeal with these guys, though, for all of them, for the entire pass game. Oh, yeah. That their defense is so bad that these game scripts are expected
1: basically every week. So, um, yeah. So well, not every team is going to have Russ Wilson. Very true. and going to let Russ cook. let Russ cook. So
0: good uh, foreshadowing there. Jeff, finish us off with one more winner for the week.
1: Yeah, AJ Green, first game in uh, almost two years, and he was clearly the number one in Cincinnati. Uh, you know, the offense kind of got off to a slow start, but eventually, uh, you know, Burrow almost let them back for the comeback in his rookie debut. Uh, kind of questionable offensive pass interference on A.J. Green call, nullified what would have been the winning touchdown. Um, but yeah, A.J. Green, nine targets. Next closest was five among three different players. And then he had 132 air yards, which is 45% air yard share. So it's no question who the alpha is in this offense. As long as A.J. Green's healthy, uh, everyone who drafted him in that, seventh eighth round range looks like they're going to be rewarded um pretty handsomely
0: yeah he looked legit he looked healthy he was making aj green wide receiver one level plays on the sideline jump ball situation so so far like you said that investment's paying off and on the other side of things tyler boyd was really disappointing in his usage early on and didn't do anything bad with what he got but he didn't get as much as we thought so um so how is cincinnati six point underdogs against cleveland this week i mean i think it's probably uh (laughs) probably expecting the bounce back the
1: browns the browns just looked awful though dude
0: yeah they did they did it's also against the ravens and the ravens were ready to play the browns didn't seem ready to play sure Uh,
1: i just tossed them in a teaser already uh so i got plus 12 on the Bengals there wow thursday night thursday night football let's do it can't wait.
0: <laughs> we'll talk about a little bit more about the Browns in a second. But first, James Conner, he is the first loser for the week, and he's already injured. And, you know, I don't like to pick on injured guys in this section, but he apparently already has an ankle injury. picked up in the second quarter of Monday Night Football. Benny Snell, formerly known as Benny Snail, no longer. Jeff
1: and I have uh, re- reduced that mm-hmm. name. <laughs> I, I was always... Yep, uh, I am I am adapting that nickname. I think I was the one who first, first coined it. but Yeah. You, yeah, I mean, he... Well, he gained or lost like 15 pounds and he's no longer slow. Like yep. <laughs> more than more than happy to redact that one.
0: Yeah, he he was uh he did not test well at the combine is what it re- originally came out. I think it was four, six, five. Um he looked good in the SEC and he kind of looked like his, his old self uh first game of year two. So good for you, Benny Snell. Um And we'll get to him a little bit more in the waiver wire section. But um, James Conner, already injured, Jeff. And this is a guy that I was really bullish on. I was saying he's healthy. The offense is healthy. Let's give him a shot again. And I think he's coming at a discount. I wasn't projecting an early season injury, but is he a buy low or a major fade? I think we have to decide. And in the context of this conversation, Jeff, I'd like to read the first of a few questions we're going to have that we got on Twitter this week. Um, uh, This is from at Smashville Oiler, Odell White. I own Connor and Snell. Am I insane to think about dropping Connor for one of these guys? 12-team keeper, half-point PPR, or yeah, half-point PPR. Uh, The options he listed were Chase Edmonds, Naheem Hines, Malcolm Brown, Paris Campbell, and Kelly. Um, He's got a pretty good team. He's got Terry McLaurin, Tyler Boyd, Christian McCaffrey, Lamar Jackson, Melvin Gordon, J.K. Dobbins on the bench. Um, Jeff, what are your initial thoughts? I mean, is James Connor droppable in a 12-team keeper league?
1: I don't think so. Um, I mean, we don't really know what the injury is going to be. I mean, I would probably try and trade he's because he has trade value. So I I don't think you just drop him upright. But I um I would put you know put him out on the block and see what you can get in return. Yeah, I mean,
0: if he's got Snell and he trades Connor and gets something back, you kind of split up that backfield's value that you have, right? Because because people would will be willing to buy Snell, and people would will be willing to buy Connor. I do not think you drop James Connor. The reason is. Mike Tomlin is a loyal guy. He wants James Conner to be his bell cow. He didn't give Benny Snell a ton of work before the Conner injury. And once Snell was in, he didn't give anyone else really any work. I think Snell had 19 of running back of of 20 running back touches after the Conner injury. So my thinking is we don't know that much about the injury. The team seems optimistic. He's probably questionable for Sunday. I would say, no, do not drop James Conner. And that doesn't nece- that's not necessarily an indication of our thoughts on Benny Snell, though. So moving on to the Browns, like we already talked about, another AFC North team. Nick Chubb and the Browns' offense, man, you know this. This the writing was someone on the wall for Chubb. We there were there were real concerns. Uh, I I wasn't a huge fan of his. You know, approaching first round and twelve team league ADP. 10 for 60, 10 carries 60 yards, not obviously a fine game under normal circumstances, but the fears about Chubb's role being cut or even halved with a full season of Kareem Hunt currently seem very justified. Kareem Hunt steadily outtouched Nick Chubb in the final line, posting 13 for 72 rushing, four catches and six targets. Uh, I'm loving my Hunt shares right now, Jeff, but this was also perfect game script for Hunt and the offense otherwise looked very dysfunctional, so it could just be an outlier. At the same time, it doesn't bode well for uh, Nick Chubb or the rest of this offense. Uh, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. saw ten targets but only put up twenty-two yards on three catches of them. Austin Hooper had a disaster of a debut. He only had two targets, two catches, fifteen yards. What are your thoughts on this offense as a whole in Cleveland? Gross. <laughs>
1: um, well, I I mean, I think I think the problem. The so first of all, the Ravens obviously have a fantastic defense. Yes. So. You have to, you know, keep that in mind and try not to overreact. But Baker Mayfield looks awful, and you know the offense goes as the quarterback goes. So, like Baker, when his like number one read is not there, he just is so skittish. Like at least that's my impression, and um, he just kind of locks onto that first read and then starts just bailing and panicking i mean Nick, david njoku had probably the best game on that offense now he's on ir yeah. so i mean it's not like you know the season ending ir but it's still he's out for a while odell's popping up as our number one um under slash buy low um you know 11 expected fantasy points only ended up with 3.7 but it's just really tough for me to invest in this offense right now because i just Baker just looks bad. Um, you know, that backfield. I th- still think Nick Chubb is top three pure rusher in the NFL, but Kareem Hunt looked better yesterday. And you can toss toss or Sunday, I guess, but and you toss in the receiving work. And if Baker is actually, you know, this bad, because he hasn't looked, it's not like it was one bad game. He just hasn't really looked good for a while. Yeah, a year and a half. And I mean, some of it is that he's played one of the toughest slate of defenses, but he still plays Baltimore again this year. He still has two games against the Steelers. Like it, It'll it get a little bit better, but I just don't really have a ton of confidence in him. Um,
0: I think the real thing we can say with, with certainty is that Kareem Hunt clearly is, retains his receiving role that he had last year, and that's what you and I talked about a lot this summer. One of of the reasons he was a great zero RB or mod zero RB target for that RB2 slot was because if you have any sort of PPR element, well, that's going to be enough to buoy any sort of, you know, maybe uh, disappointing running rushing usage in that week. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting situation in Cleveland, definitely worth monitoring. I wouldn't sell low on, on Chubb. Um, I would wait until maybe he, he gets one of those big, long, long runs. If you are worried, in fact, um, I think OBJ is an interesting buy because his value is already depressed. If if the owner you know maybe took a shot and is now getting a little panicky, I think he could be worth worth a look um, if he's on the trade block.
1: So Jeff, wrap us up with our, uh, our- well. Also, um, you know Mike Francesa tweeted that mm-hmm. the Browns are looking to shop Odell, which means they are not looking to shop Odell. <laughs> but if the Brown, uh, if the Odell owner in your league does not realize that. Um and they think, oh, Odell's gonna get traded. I should probably, you know, trade him too because he could lose value. Then I mean hey, go ahead and take advantage of that. Yep. But I he, I I have a tough time valuing like putting a valuation on him, anything over like mid wide receiver two right now.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty fair. It's about I mean, I had him ranked a little bit higher than that in the in the draft, but um yeah, that that's fine um jeff wrapping up here we've got our last loser of the week is michael thomas probably someone people did not expect to see on the loser list maybe all year based on what he did in 2019 but what are your thoughts on michael thomas after week one
1: the big thing for me here is reports of a high ankle sprain and whenever i hear high ankle sprain alarms just go off in my head um is it's just not an easy injury to play through it, for example, Saquon Barkley last year, he missed what three games? I think. Yeah, he missed a. few And he beat expectations, three or yeah, he missed three or four games, and he still like beat expectations to come back to the field. But he also still wasn't himself for another three weeks or so. Um. So Michael Thomas, if these were like, if it is actually a high ankle sprain, like I just don't. I think you're going to be severely disappointed, and he will might even struggle to be a, like a wide receiver. One so, and combined with the fact that the Saints offense just kind of didn't look like itself. Now, Tampa's defense is underrated. Um, so that's you know, don't want to you know, grossly overreact to that, but really, it's the high ankle sprain for me. I think if you can still sell Michael Thomas as a top five wide receiver and really like you know, mate at the value you drafted him for, then I would do that because I don't think he's going to be a top five wide receiver for the next few weeks. And then, you know, four, five, six weeks from now, maybe you can go and buy him back as like that at a high end wide receiver too. And once like that kind of um ankle sprain actually starts to heal, but it's not an easy injury to play through. So yeah, very true. That's it for me. It's
0: um, all right. So moving on to our fantasy football storylines to watch, Jeff, um, is Russ going to continue to cook? We already mentioned it, but, you know, almost any way you slice it, the Seahawks were uncharacteristically pass heavy early on and aggressive in unleashing Russ. That is awesome. I mean, that's what we hoped. That's why we were both big buyers on DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and Russ himself. As a result, Russ was amazing. He only had four incompletions on 35 attempts, 322 passing yards, four touchdowns. So he had as many incompletions as he had touchdowns. That's always a pretty good indicator. Um, Chris Carson made up for a poor day rushing with six targets, six receptions, 45 yards, and two touchdowns. DK Metcalf dominated with four catches, t- 95 yards, and a touchdown. Um, and and uh, Tyler Lockett had an uh, eight-catch, eight-target, 92-yard game. Now, they played against a terrible D, but Pete Carroll and Schoenheimer, the offensive coordinator, can't deny these results, right? Do you think Russ continues to cook?
1: I think so, dude. Like, um, they had either the most aggressive or second most aggressive play calling for the week, depending on people's metrics. Some had, like, actually had the bills higher. Um, But, I mean, either way, it is completely out of character for. The Carroll Schottenheimer offense. And considering how vocal Russ has been this offseason about wanting to just open things up more right from the beginning, yeah, I, I do think this is um, indicative of how things are going to play out the rest of the season. I'm sure they'll have a couple games where they probably revert back to their older tendencies. But by and large, over the course of the season, I expect things to kind of follow this direction. Um, I mean, this is just insane efficiency. And there's a reason that everyone has been chanting that Russ Cook, especially the uh, Seahawks fans, because he is so good. He did eight for eight to 92 to lock it. I mean, that's almost a cheat code. Yeah. So um,
0: he literally yeah, only I, had four incompletions and they were all targeting DK Metcalf. <laughs> to DK.
1: Yeah. Sell so high on DK. I'm kidding.
0: Yeah. I, <laughs> I agree with you, though. I am buying uh, the Cook. In the kitchen, staying there, so that's good stuff. we love to see um that.
1: the one the one thing I will say is if you're a Chris Carson owner, it might be a sell high opportunity mm-hmm. because Carlos Hyde was on the field a lot as well, and I mean those two receiving touchdowns in the red zone are are nice um I don't really know if that part's sustainable though, and I mean so I'm not saying you. He's like, rush, put him on the market, get whatever you can. But if you get a good offer for him, looking at how much Hyde was also on the field, uh, I would strongly consider taking it.
0: That's a good good point there. Um, moving on, does Josh Jacobs continue seeing this level of usage? If so, he should jump many spots up in the rankings as a mid RB1. Some people already had him there. I did not, and that was because I was worried about his lack of receiving usage. So his 25 for 93 yards and three touchdown rushing line is great. And it's really not outside of the ordinary for one of the best peer rushers in the game. What was outside the ordinary was he got six targets, a career high, four catches and 46 yards receiving. Now the production on that is not crazy. It's the usage itself. You know, the offseason moves did not signal, uh, a, a, you know, an alignment with what the coaches and the, the front office were saying about how they wanted to use Jacobs Moore as a receiver. Well, week one showed that they did. So, that's the kind of receiving work that will elevate him to a mid-tier RB one. I, I mean, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I think he's a really talented player. I was fading him purely because I didn't believe that the Raiders would use him effectively. Um, I also think that the matchup was really, really, really good. So we'll see. You know, I actually think this could be a sell high opportunity for Jacobs' owners as well. But it really depends on you know what your situation is. It's it's hard to say. Uh, you know, without taking a look at what you could get for him but the idea is like this is kind of the best case scenario for him in week one and uh sure he could have an amazing season but you know how much how much of this was the matchup how much of this was just week one being an outlier so um that's that's definitely a storyline to watch and the last one jeff i want to pitch it over to you here do cam newton and kyler murray keep up their rushing volume kyler ran 13 times for 91 yards and a touchdown would have been hundred if not for some QB kneels at the end. And Cam ran 15 times for 75 yards and two touchdowns. And those are both two RB one like weeks. You know what I mean? Like we're looking at two rushing lines that are very capable in your RB one spot. Cam was my pick for a late round QB league winner this year. So I'm thrilled I have in 75% of my season long leagues. And the only other one is where I kept Mahomes in our league with Jeff. So I'm like giddy about Cam's rushing usage. But Jeff, do you think it holds up for either of them?
1: Yeah, not 15 carries a game for Cam and not 13 carries a game for Kyler, but yes, I think both of them are going to uh, you know, keep the rushing production um, you know, to propel them into that top 5, top 6 quarterback territory. Um, I think with Cam, uh, you know, that's kind of zone read is been something that's hurt the Dolphins in the past I think the Bills used that really well against them last year with Josh Allen so that was probably part of their game plan um to use that a lot more um but I mean Cam is still like one of the best goal line inside the five rushers if not the best in the NFL and I mean Kyler just looks elect- electric out there and I, I think they said that he only got hit once mm-hmm. on all of those rushes. Either yep. either was sliding or dipping out of bounds. So he got hit once, which is, you know, fantastic for someone his size. It was kind of one of the concerns when he was coming out. It's like, he's small. Yes, he's an electric rusher, but will he be able to hold up? And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter if he's not getting hit. So, um, I mean, not that I'm expecting him to run 13 times a game, but five, six, seven, eight. I mean, that gets in again, that just as we saw with Lamar last year, just gives you such an incredible you know floor plus added ceiling for uh, at the quarterback position. So, you know, uh, whoever drafted them is really looking pretty good right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing, too. They're two really smart players Am is a little bit more aggressive. Obviously, he has the body to to uh, handle that. But also the idea is that they're not going to necessarily be super reckless and they're also not just doing this uh you know on scrambles like we've talked about designed runs are really really important for quarterback rushing production to stay and to be sticky so um yeah i agree with you I, I i do think it is here to stay it's probably a little bit of an outlier in week one uh considering cams on on like an rb1 pace right now so um but with that said jeff wrap us up with with uh fantasy football storylines to watch and with our potential Devonte parker of 2020
1: yeah, I mean, this is the week one overreaction that Corey Davis is 2020 Devontae Parker. Um, I mean, he looked good last night. Uh, and then just diving into the stats a little bit more, he had eight targets, which is the same as AJ Brown, and his 95 air yards led Tennessee. So, uh, I mean, way, way rushing out ahead of ourselves right now. But like his rock score. That puts him at like, you know, low end, wide receiver two range. So far from, um you know, coining him a, you know, top 10 breakout, you know, the first round pick who just took forever. But, you know, if he's, if you're in a deeper league, he's out on the waiver wire, just based on last night alone, I think he's at the very least worth a bench stash because, I mean, who knows? Crazier, th- it's 2020, it's like, would hardly be the top five craziest thing to happen. Two
0: things to add. Number one is, apparently, I literally just learned this today. Corey Davis is an anagram for COVID's year. So, read into that as much as you'd like. <laughs> Jeff's doing it right now. <laughs> he just figured it out as well. I saw that on Twitter, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't remember who tweeted it. Uh, I replied, holy shit, so if you wanna to go to my replies, you can, you can give them credit there. Um, the other thing is Corey Davis basically ran or on all of his receptions uh ran one route. One route all game. And it was that that, you know, cross over the middle um from the left and from the right from, you know, in line slot area. So I will say the bear case is that how, you know, is a team going to be able to stop him in week 2 once they realize that that's the route that he's being used on. So we'll see uh but that's a, that's a good argument you made there for Corey Davis. Um I'll also say one last thing Jeff I was off the Devontae Parker bandwagon. He breaks out. I was off the Corey Davis bandwagon. He breaks out. I think I need to get off these bandwagons and then immediately be ready to hop back <laughs> on to get my guys going your, you know, a couple of years into their career. Um, okay. Probably the part that people came for overall, which is the waiver wire section. We got a couple fan questions here. I'm going to start from one from Nick Johnson27 underscore. Um on Twitter, he DM'd me and asked this question better waiver wire at eight man league, Sammy Watkins or Alan Lazard. Uh I'll start here, Jeff. I think it in Green Bay, the wide receiver two role is harder to peg. And let's not even forget about MVS, Marquez Valdez Scanling, who had six targets, four catches, ninety six yards, and a touchdown. Like I don't even I'm not even necessarily positive that Alan Lazard is the wide receiver two in that offense. I think he probably is but we know that Sammy Watkins is the number two in Kansas city. He had, you know, week one Watkins, you can read into as much as you want, but we're talking about an eight man league. There's going to be guys on the waiver wire. So I say go for the higher upside guy and Sammy Watkins on the better offense with a better quarterback and hope that maybe this is the year. If you are in need of one of them, I would go with Watkins.
1: Not really. Um, I think, yeah, Sammy is the wide receiver two in Kansas City, but he's the, the, the number three receiving option because you still need to put Kelsey ahead of him. Um, and then I think in regards to MVS versus Lazard, MVS does look like, based off just solely off of week one, the uh, number two option there. But I do think it's, it's possible the number two receiver in Green Bay, whoever it ends up being, will be at least more consistent than Sammy um like sammy might have some higher week-to-week ceiling but a lot more volatility so i think part of that also just depends on what you want but i would also lean sammy long live the lizard king <laughs> i love it
0: um all right so moving on and available in 92 percent of espn leagues the shin ultimate weapon but not mine not yours not our league uh we're both big lavisca but guys because i have
1: him in about every league
0: Yeah. And uh, our buddy Joe Aronson picked him up in, in our other league from home. So um, good job on the existing owners for LaVisca Chenault. And the rest of you guys, be on alert because this guy is a beast. And really solid debut for the Jacksonville rookie. Very encouraging usage as well. Listen to this. His snaps at each position, each alignment within the offense. At QB, he had one snap as a well, wildcat. Two in the backfield. He got he had uh, two carries for 10 yards total. Uh, in line, about tight end position, One. Slot eight and wide 19. Um, he could very easily be the number two weapon in this offense as soon as, you know, right now, basically. He had actually had a better final line than than the wide receiver one, DJ Shark. I don't think that's super sustainable, but the point is he's getting very creatively used. And that's also per at Sam Hoppin on Twitter with two Ps. Uh, creative usage off the bat's a great sign for the most versatile offensive player in the draft this year. So I'm, I'm a big fan of what we saw in week one. The fact that he is uh, available in over 90% of the leagues is is egregious. Uh, I think you'd agree, Jeff. So um, good on you for already having him in all your leagues. And uh, let's hope that, that that continues. Moving on now to the running backs position. Uh, the first one I'll say is the GOAT, Adrian Peterson himself. He's rostered in only 21% of ESPN leagues. And in week one, coming off of like basically no time in Detroit, he had 14 carries for 93 yards and maybe even more importantly three catches for 21 yards yes it's a committee but he did that in his first game with almost no reps prior to the season so i like his odds to keep a role and be be a usable flex if you need it um i'd also say that he's probably a pretty solid trade piece for a team in need of a running back so if you can add him off the wire and you need a running back that's good and The other thing is, I would say Adrian Peterson has shown that he still has some value, even though he just changed situations again. So I would maybe try to acquire him on your waiver wire if there's no one else that you're really prioritizing, and then maybe try to flip him. Maybe you knew Adrian Peterson and Sammy Watkins for someone like Terry McLaurin, if if someone's crazy enough to do that. I don't know. know. It depends who people are low on after week one. Moving on back to Jacksonville real quick. James Robinson, the undrafted free agent rookie, started week one with so much out in in Jacksonville's backfield. You know, Davino Zigbo, Raquel Armstead, Chris Thompson was basically a non-factor. So James Robinson was available in 61% of ESPN leagues as of this morning. Uh, Not sure how long this lasts in terms of Robinson era, but he looked really solid in week one. 16 carries, 62 yards uh, rushing. One catch for 28 yards, and man, was it a great catch. A uh, great play, that is. You should look that highlight up on Twitter if you haven't already. And the Jacksonville offense looked good against the Colts, but this is the more important thing. How long does the era last? I'm not sure. Maybe Raquel Armstead comes in and immediately cuts into his work. Maybe it transitions more to Chris Thompson backfield if things get worse, but I think he's got a good chance to retain this level of usage. His next three games are Tennessee, Miami, and Cincinnati. He should at least – Jacksonville should at least be in those games, if not leading in those games – based on what we saw in week one. So I think it should be a capable flex option due to close games and positive game script over the next couple of weeks. I'd add him if he can. And even if his utility runs out when Raquel returns, you're still getting uh, a reasonable player with some upside for the rest of the season. So any thoughts on James Robinson there, Jeff?
1: I mean, he should have been added like a couple of weeks ago in pretty much every league, in my opinion. There's only one running back in the NFL who received every single running back carry for his team in week one,
0: James, James Robinson. Robinson.
1: <laughs> so and he, he's basically the reason that the Jags felt comfortable cutting Fournette is because he was just balling out in training camp. And like, this guy's better than Fournette. Why do we need a $4 million cap hit? So, you know, I mean, it's um, – I, I don't really think that if – and when uh, Raquel comes back, like he's really going to hinder his values. James Robinson's backfield – and, I mean, he's just going to be fed. So, I think he is um, probably a comfortable flex option. I Unless the offense picks up, I have a tough time really seeing a huge ceiling there. But for somebody that you either picked up for free off waivers a couple weeks ago or adding relatively cheap this week, that's still, like, pretty good. Um, I mean, the Colts' defense is also – Not bad, pretty good. So I think Jacksonville, you know, I don't say the risk, but like the limited ceiling is kind of like what you saw with Fournette last year of just only what, three touchdowns and kind of like, yeah, you got a lot of the volume and that 16 carries, but they were all in between the twenties without the red zone goal line. But the Jacksonville offense um, does kind of get going and Gardner Minshew is what we thought Baker Mayfield was. I mean, yeah, there's like some touchdown and upside to match the volume to really give you kind of like one of the steals.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Um, okay, so so wrapping up running backs here, and it's actually going to transition nicely to tight ends. Uh, a, f- a question was submitted by a friend of the show, Cooper, who, operating under the a- very serious alias uh, Boner Boy 69 He wants to know... <laughs> What percentage of a $100 waiver budget would you use on Dallas Goddard? How about Malcolm Brown? Let's start with Brown here, Jeff, and then we'll transition to tight ends. And we've got another question about uh, Goddard in a minute, too. Um, you know, Brown's available 92% of ESPN leagues as of this morning. He'll likely be the priority add across the league. Uh, running backs just have that kind of premium, and we saw a lot struggle or get a little banged up in week one. So for me, to answer his question directly, I'd se- I've settled around 15% of your FAB budget or your waiver budget. And I think that's a that's a pretty it depends how aggressive you want to be. If you really need a running back, if maybe you had maybe you're relying on Le'Veon Bell or something. Maybe you went zero RB and took LeVeon Bell in like the fourth or fifth. Um, if you really need a running back, you have to be aggressive to get him this week. Uh I would say, if you know, if people recognize that. But um I've settled around 15% because I basically am not sold that Malcolm Brown keeps this value all season, but I do think that Malcolm Brown looked like clearly the best running back in los angeles i think this is a somewhat of a red flag moment for cam Akers. um the reason being i don't think that malcolm brown is the better player overall i wouldn't take him over Akers and dynasty or anything like that but the point is malcolm brown looked this good and Akers didn't look that good uh it's, there's a chance that this is a committee all season long so jeff any additional thoughts on the malcolm brown situation
1: um, I'd probably even be comfortable juicing it up to 20% ish. Um, I'm not in agreement. He looked like the better player Sunday night, the touchdown upside in that Rams offense is really high. And I mean, I think maybe we were a little um, sleeping on the Rams a little bit after last year's disappointing because like, you know, with no fans anymore, like, you know, you, those usually that headset cuts off about 20 seconds in the play clock. And, um, McVay's puppet strings kind of get like frozen. Snipped, yeah. But with no with no fans, um, okay, even though the headsets are gonna cut off, I'm pretty sure that McVeigh is just gonna be able to keep yelling at golf the whole time and keep his puppeteering. And <laughs> I mean I'm half I'm joking, kind of, but um <laughs> kind of <laughs> uh I I don't know. The Rams I, I actually might be a team that we were just kind of writing off because of golf. Um but I mean, 20%. I do think Akers takes over the backfield at at some point this year. But it looks like you can pencil Malcolm Brown in as an RB2 until otherwise. And I mean, even if you only, if that's four weeks, like that's still worth it. And if Akers doesn't take over the backfield and you're able to ride Malcolm Brown to like a high end RB2 throughout the season, then you just got an absolute steal. So, yeah, I would probably comfortable again depending on what your team looks like juicing up to even 20 percent.
0: yeah so basically what i settled on was like 10 if you're not crazy about him 20 if you're if you're being aggressive so i settled in a 15 percent. but yeah i agree with you if, if you want to be aggressive you got to go to 20 percent. so um good point there and on dallas goddard now the question is you know how much of would you allocate for goddard he's available in 73 percent of espn leagues talked about him a lot this summer i uh, talked about him on episode 39 with jack winecoop um, you know, Dallas Goddard was a guy that I was stacking with Carson Wentz constantly. Uh, and I, and I have seen him as the Kareem hunt of tight ends this year and that he has weekly utility and upside, but also a monster ceiling in the event, something happens to the other guy in this case, Zach Ertz. So Ertz is disgruntled, possible trade candidate. You know, we've heard that rumor before and nothing's come of it. He's probably gonna like most likely scenario hands up with an extension and everything is fine, but this is the best time to be a Dallas Goddard owner. Uh, he just put up eight uh, eight catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets as Wentz's go-to weapon, and that was with a healthy Zacherts in the lineup. So never been a better time to have him on your team. I say go get him, and uh, bringing up Jack again, actually, he he actually just submitted a question. Uh, he said, I have Gusecki and wanted Goddard since I had the first pick on waivers this week. My opponent has Kittle and would likely pick up Gaseki if I dropped him. Would it be best to drop Youngway Koo, his kicker, instead, and hold on to Gaseki until the final whistle and then pick up a kicker my other option would be to drop Rager for Goddard or, and of course, uh, or of course drop Gusecki for Goddard and not worry about facing him this week. My thinking Jeff is a be aggressive and go get Goddard B drop your kicker because they're replaceable. And I don't think young way is something that you need to uh, desperately hold on to. And I wouldn't drop Jalen Rager at all. Um, so my Response to Jack will be to drop your kicker, hold on to Gaseki and pick up a, a kicker off waivers right before on you know, maybe Saturday night or, or Sunday, whatever it is, so that your opponent can't pick up Gasecki. I think that's smart, Jack. I think that's good strategy, um, and it's definitely within within the confines of the rules. So, Jeff, to answer uh, back to Boner Boys 69's nine's question, uh, Cooper, what 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 uh, percentage of Fab would you allocate for
1: Dallas Goddard? Well, uh, like five to ten percent at most. Um I think the part of it is depends on what else is out there for tight ends on your waiver wire. Um is there's two other guys that we have uh written down here in Logan Thomas and Janu Smith that I like both of them a ton too. So I don't think you need to overpay for Dallas Goddard if you can also go and get Logan Thomas or Janu Smith for a couple bucks as well. Um So, uh, there's a little bit of context there. Like, if it was Dallas Goddard's the only person out there on your waiver wire, then, um, you know, go ahead and pay up. Like, that's obviously not the case. So, um, like, Logan Thomas finished uh, fifth in our Rock score among tight ends this week and actually had a higher uh, score than Dallas Goddard. Then, I mean, Johnu Smith was like the Titans were making a point of getting the ball into his hands and he's a really good player. So um, I think, you know, I like Otter a ton. I, you know, I definitely would put him up there on the tight end priority list, but I don't think it's worth overpaying if you have a couple other options as well. Um, I will say
0: this Logan Thomas has been dubbed by many, including JJ Zachary as this year's Darren Waller, um, him and Johnny Smith put up nearly identical lines in week one, uh, four catches, 37 yards and a touchdown for Thomas and one less yard and one less, uh, target for, um, for Johnny Smith on the Monday night game. So, uh, I, I think that's a pretty good analysis of the situation. Jeff, I like being aggressive on Goddard because I also really enjoyed, uh, Attempting the the Wentz Goddard Sanders stack all summer, so. um But I think that's that's a, a good way to put it, and yeah, I think that pretty much does it for our waiver wire section for this week, Jeff. We're gonna um, continue to be seeking Twitter engagement from you guys. If you have particular, you know, people on your waiver wire you don't know if you should pick up, if you don't know who maybe you should drop, let us know at Contested Catch on Twitter. Of course, we will do our best to get to them on the pod, and if not. I'm pretty darn good about responding to DMs and replies. So, uh, for those of you that may have already submitted something, I make sure to get back to you as well. All right, Jeff, wrapping up here. Bills breakdown from week one. We can keep it pretty brief, but I think the general consensus from from the Bills community, from from us, is that it was overall very positive. Now, you made a very good point that the Jets aren't really even an NFL team. We, you know, we're we're not very bullish on the Jets or Sam Darnold. So. I'm not reading too much into it, but what I will say is the defense looked good. I thought Allen had some really sharp moments, some really poor moments as well. Uh, And one of the big things that stood out to me was that Stefan Diggs really made a difference. John Brown was all over the field as well. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily the case if he doesn't have Diggs taking some of that coverage away. So really, that tandem, those guys are very similar players, both great route runners and explosive. Josh Allen looked like he was really hitting guys in stride, uh, made some you know, very memeable passes as well or misses. um, And those fumbles, he needs to clean up. That
1: was Tom Brady.
0: (laughs) Tom Brady did do that as well. You know, we're we're not seeing the same kind of coverage for those two players. I think Tom Brady's probably earned it in his 20-something year career. So, um, but anyway, overall, very positive uh, and and happy to to be one to know. Jeff, what are your thoughts on the Bills?
1: Regarding Allen, I think, statistically this was his best game as a passer
0: first 300 passing game. The
1: passing yep first 300 yard passing game I think what did i say it was a 7.2 cpoe yep. i think which far as i could tell was his highest um
0: cpoe for those that don't know is complete completion percentage over expected so that's a really good indicator of, of how good a quarterback passed that day how well
1: yeah because it's the big the big thing is like complete Uh, depth adjusted completion percentage is another way to think about there's some other variables that go into it but that's like the driving factor and then um i think the the big issue is like those those fumbles were egregious so i i would like to think those are fixable um but they're just they've been an issue going back you know to his rookie year i think he had two of those in the eagles game last year so The Jets were able to get away with it, but those that's two red zone fumbles cost us a minimum of six points, if not 14. And we can't be doing that against the Chiefs, against the Ravens, against the Patriots. Yeah. So, um, but I love pretty much everything else about this game. I thought Dable was really good. He scrapped a lot of the two tight end sets. You know, Knox was kind of the only one getting meaningful reps, a lot of four wide receiver sets with Gabe Davis. Mm I mean, fourth round pick already getting um like good reps. So um I don't know. I thought it was great. Running game was okay. I mean, nothing spectacular from single Terrier Moss, but also keep in mind that if the strength of this Jets team is probably the rush defense, exactly. I wouldn't really read, I wouldn't read too much into it. So um no, great, great tune up game. Get one more, hopefully against the Dolphins next week, and then the season starts. Yeah, I, I think uh, there are going
0: to be some people, uh, going back to fantasy real quick, I think some people are going to be panicking a little bit about Zach Moss. Even though he got that receiving score, his rushing line was really poor. Uh, I think we, like you already said, Jeff, that's a strength. of This Jets uh, defensive line is, is the ability to shut down uh, the running game, I think. And um, I just wouldn't read into it too much. The more important thing is that he operated as the goal back um and and had a pretty good split with singletary so moss buyers um i wouldn't sell and singletary buyers probably shouldn't have but uh anyway i think this offense is is in a good place um one thing i will say watching the game seeing how aggressive josh allen is and and how you know it's fun it really is to watch him play like that and yet at the same time i constantly think dude this guy's gonna take a hit that he's not going to get back up from at least for a quarter or a game or something like that. Because when you're just throwing, he's throwing his body around and yeah, it's effective. You know, he's a, he's an athlete. He's a real football player, but at the same time, you're the quarterback of a franchise. You're the face of the franchise. I, I am concerned with the willingness uh, to take hits as he is. You know what I mean? We talked about Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray has done the best job in the NFL of running like Russell Wilson, which I think is the most effective way for a quarterback to run and be effective. I think Josh Allen is much closer to the Cam Newton end of the spectrum. And we already know how Cam's injuries have taken a toll on his career. So I do have, uh, you know, lasting concerns about that. But overall, we're one to know, baby. Uh, I feel pretty good about uh, this team and how, you know, where we thought they were going to be this year. So.
1: 1-0 in real football, 1-0 in fantasy football. No better way to start the season. Well
0: done, well done. Yeah, I, I win in uh, 75% of my leagues uh, and, and lose in the one I care about the most. <laughs> so you got to love it. Um, anyway, with that said, that does it for uh, our episode 41 coverage here of the waiver Wire and week one recap. Hope you guys enjoyed. We're going to be trying to do this every single week as well as later episodes throughout the week to look more closely at the week ahead so with that said if you guys ever want to hear from us you know where to find us on twitter at Buff Bill Stats for jeff and at contested catch for me and as we've been alluding to we've got a very big announcement coming up soon so stay tuned for that as well thank you guys for tuning in and we hope to catch you next time